Hello, my name is Alex Gerline. I am here for the San Ignatius podcast to do some movie reviews. So, a little bit of an introduction before I start off. Um, like I said, my name is Alex Gerline. I am a senior currently at San Ignatius, and probably the defining thing that most people know me by is that I like movies. I watch a lot of them, probably too many. I write the reviews for the eye, and it only seems sort of natural that I'd migrate over here to the podcast. And so here I am, and I am going to do my best to sort of translate my writing into an audio form. And I'm going to talk to you about some movies, some new, some old, sort of an all-around perspective on what is going on in the world of film. And today I am going to be talking about one of my favorite films of this year so far. Um, I think I'd put it fifth out of what I've seen this year. Um, But, you know, Oscar season is starting up real soon here. So I am going to be seeing a lot soon. But I will just start off by reading my review from The Eye. Nine times out of ten, the remake is worse than the original. Whether it's Gus Van Sant's Psycho or Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, taking an original vision for a film and retelling it from the mind of a different creator usually ends up seeming like more of a falsified cash grab on a pre-existing property than an actual attempt at artistic expression. And this phenomenon and has been a part of many, many Hollywood movies, many popular franchises, but it has been a part of A Star is Born's legacy since the very beginning. Now, I'll admit right up front that I haven't seen every version of this film, but I know enough about the history of this series to give you an idea of what I'm talking about when I say that this is a good film, and it's a very good remake. So, the first official version of the film air quotes on that, was the 1937 film, uh, which went on to be nominated for seven Oscars and win for Best Story. Translate that to nowadays Best Screenplay. However, the first film itself is strikingly similar to George Cukor's 1932 film, What Price Hollywood?, which tells the story of a struggling young woman in Hollywood taken under the wing of an aging star who descends into alcoholism when her fame surpasses his. Now, if you've seen any version of A Star is Born... This should sound extremely familiar, because it's basically the same story. What I'm trying to say is that before the first film was even made, it was likely conceived as a retelling of an earlier film. This theory is all but confirmed by the choice to bring in Cukor, who directed What Price Hollywood, as the director of what, up until now, has been widely renowned as the best interpretation of the story, 1954's A Star is Born, starring Judy Garland. That's the other one that I've seen. Uh, Throw in a subpar 70s update which transported the story into the world of country music, important for the new one, and you'd be at the point where you'd think no sane filmmaker would want to touch the property. It's already been done three, four times before, and is solidified as a classic with the 1954 version. So why do another remake? I think this is the question any filmmaker considering a remake in general should ask themselves. What reason is there for this story to be told again? My favorite remake of all time is John Carpenter's The Thing. It takes a pulpy sci-fi story and brings it into the realm of gruesome body horror never before seen on the screen. I mean, you know, take the spider head or the uh, opening chest with the teeth, you know, bites the guy's arms off. It's fantastic. It's this mad vision. And if you watch the original, it's nothing like it. I mean, it's basically alien Frankenstein in the Arctic. The monster has no life in him, and it's just kind of stomping around. So what John Carpenter saw in the original film was 
a good setup, but the opportunity for him to do something new. And that is exactly the proper grounds one should give to making a remake of a pre-existing film. Doing something new. Now, this should be the sort of way that anyone thinks when they want to make a film. They want to do something new with it. This holds especially true with a remake, because why do the same thing if it's been done before? Um, Sidebar, this is kind of why I think that the best remakes are of films that weren't that great to begin with. Uh, Like I said, John Carpenter's The Thing, David Cronenberg's The Fly is another great example. You sort of take something that had potential but wasn't executed properly and bring it to life in a way that it wasn't. This is what makes Bradley Cooper's version of the film so good. It does something new with the material. Material that has been seen over and over and over again. It's become a part of the zeitgeist, and it would seem inevitable that a remake of this film would be made for the modern era. But it's just lucky enough that it was something good. Cooper has taken an admittedly cheesy concept and brought it to new heights of realism. Now, realism is something that works in some films, doesn't work in others. Uh, Take something like Bicycle Thieves. That's a neorealist Italian classic. It's a masterpiece. And what makes it good is that it takes a very realistic, hard-edged approach to the material. And it does that in ways Bradley Cooper doesn't with this film. But, you know, that was a different time, you know, when you could have your movie star someone who'd never acted before and you could shoot on location. That's something else entirely, but realism is what I'm trying to get at. A symptom of most Hollywood films in the 50s, 40s, and earlier, which the Star is Born films previously fall into, is that they're rooted in an artificial glitz and glamour that allows for a polished professional production, but effectively silences any trace of natural emotion on the screen. Cooper takes an almost documentary approach to the filmmaking, using handheld cameras and realistic dialogue to portray an authenticity never brought to the material in the previous versions. The 76 film attempts to do this, but comes off as more of a career reboot project for Streisand to show that she's hip with the times. It was conceived as that sort of project because she had been in films like Hello, Dolly, and her image wasn't that hip with the sort of radical, more freeform cinema of the 70s, which is probably the peak, in my opinion, of American film, uh, is the 1970s. The 90s were also fantastic, um, but, you know, 70s is probably the best decade for American movies. This realism is the reason for the film's existence, to update and add depth to a myth buried deep in our popular consciousness, and I am so glad Cooper decided to take it on. Now, Cooper wears many hats in this film, co-writer, director, producer, and star, all given to him, and he does them all wonderfully. He comes off like a washed-up Jeff Bridges meets Sam Elliott and Johnny Cash, all down on their luck and buried in a bottle. Sam Elliott happens to be in this film. Not really a coincidence. Um, His performance is unparalleled by his predecessors in the role because he actually makes it seem like a person. So as much as everyone knows who Cooper is, by the end of the film, he has disappeared into the role of Jackson Maine. I honestly did not think by the end of the movie, oh, that's Bradley Cooper. I thought, Jackson Maine, that's interesting. That doesn't happen much anymore. You know, I watch a Marvel movie, and I never think, oh, look at all the trouble Tony Stark's getting into. I'm like, Robert Downey Jr. is being CGI'd into this fight. But more on the writing, 
The writing borrows appreciatively from the past films, but never feels forced when it throws in a catchphrase or callback from a film before it. You know, think Terminator Genesis with the I'll be back line or something like that. You know, the the, the line that gets repeated in, I think, every single version of the film is, um, I just wanted to take one more look at you. It does not feel forced. It really doesn't. Like, it comes off very naturally, and I think that's shows the strength of the writing that they can sort of, like, meld and mesh this sort of very artificial-sounding line into the rest of the script, and it works perfectly. It's actually a pretty great moment in the film, and they call back to it a couple times. But Cooper's focus, with the writing, the directing, and the acting, is on telling a genuinely emotional story. And it feels almost like an afterthought that it comes from 80 years' worth of rehashed material. Now, bringing the titular star to life is Lady Gaga, in a performance just as good as Cooper's, if not better. I'll admit that I'm not a very big Lady Gaga fan, as a musician. But if she continues acting, and I know she's acted before in American Horror Story and some other things, but this is her first big role. If she continues acting, I will certainly be a fan of her as an actress. To put this into perspective, most performances dwell on one state of emotion. You get a really sad character, you get a really happy character, funny, evil, you know, you sort of dwell in one place. But Lady Gaga pulls off a really good performance in this. She is sort of all over the place with her emotions, but it's all, it all feels real. It feels like a natural reaction to what is happening to her. And I think it takes some real, you know, guts to try and fluctuate the material like that to have these different emotional peaks and valleys and to then trust that into the hands of Lady Gaga, who is not very well known for her acting abilities before this, I think was a great move. I think a lot of the reason that she does so well is because she can relate to the material. She is a pop star. She has been through this kind of thing. She said so much in interviews you know, not exactly as it happened in the movie, but a lot of these experiences hit home for her. And, you know, she does so much better than most singers turned actors. You know, they tend to flop when they hit the big screen. It just doesn't work translating from one artistic medium to another. And Gaga hits the ground running and gives one of the year's best performances. I'm, I'm telling, I'm predicting this right now. Both of these performances will almost definitely be nominated for Oscars. And as of right now, this is in the very early stages of Oscar season, I would say they should win. I haven't seen First Man yet, but I've been hearing a lot about Gosling's performance, so I'll get back to you on that. Um, now, as far as the negatives go, I can't say much without spoiling. Um, the film feels a bit too long. I really don't know where or have any suggestions as to where they should cut something. They shouldn't cut any scenes, but trim a lot. But also, I would say don't do that, because the quiet moments do contribute a lot to the film. The editing does go a little too far at times as well, sort of counterintuitively. Like, not enough was edited. But there's also scenes where the editing doesn't really work. There's this moment at the very end of the film where Lady Gaga is singing, and it cuts into a flashback, which I'm just like, that was a very powerful moment, and you just undermined it by showing more of Bradley Cooper. 
And I think that they should have just had a long gaga, honestly, at the end. But see the movie, so you know what I'm talking about. Some character moments are a bit forced, and some have argued the climax feels like it comes out of nowhere, like they're just hitting plot points from the previous versions of the film. Yes and no. I think that the place that Cooper's character comes to feels earned and is very well executed. There's one shot in particular that I absolutely love where it's sort of focusing in on, like, the lower half of his body, like, from the waist down as he just walks over and, let's just say, he puts his hat down somewhere. And that is probably my favorite shot in the entire film. I'm just being honest. It's That's one of the images in this movie that sticks with me is just that slow tracking shot. It is... Very good. The the flaws in this film are buried deep within the story. You know, a symptom of it being a remake. It's a symptom of, you know, all this sort of points that they have to hit with the type of film that it is. Uh, but most likely, I say that the major flaws with this film on its own come from really large cuts made to it. Um, from what I call hearing the original cut of the movie was over three hours long now it's about 215 so there's a solid 45 minutes worth of material that we didn't see that probably would have filled in a lot of the gaps so i'm just gonna say this the film will win best song it will be nominated for best screenplay best actor best actress and maybe best director i'm not sure all in all it will follow in the series tradition of raking in praise at the academy awards and I think it's well-deserved. It's not my favorite film of the year, but right now, he's an early award season contender. And I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. Now, I feel sort of uh, compelled to say this, just to clarify, uh, my rating system. So I'm going to close on this. Uh, don't worry, you won't have to listen to me much longer. Um, 5 out of 10 is what I walk into every single movie I see with, or at least I try to. That means no positives, no negatives, and... If I feel something's positive, I move up on the scale. If I feel something's negative, I move down. So five is like the first Hobbit movie. There are enough negatives and enough positives to balance that movie out. Three out of ten would be the next two Hobbit movies. I'm not talking about Lord of the Rings. Those are like eights and nines. The Hobbit movies are trash. Um, and they're good examples of five, four, and three. Um... But a six, what's a six? A six is something that it's good. I wouldn't say, you know, go out of your way to see it. But I'd say if you see it on TV and you got two hours to spare, just sit down and check it out. Six out of ten would be something like um, Ant-Man. You know, it it's not amazing, it's not bad, but got more good than it does bad. Seven out of ten, I'd say see it. Seven is where I would start telling you that it would be worth paying money to see in a theater or DVD or streaming or whatever. Um, seven out of ten would be like Marvel movies make great examples, by the way. Um, seven out of ten would be something like Thor 3, Thor Ragnarok. Um, pretty good film, actually. I like Taika Waititi a lot. Um, and I think that's one of his better films, actually. So that would be a seven out of ten. 8 out of 10 is something where I'm like, that's good. That is good. 8 out of 10 would be something like Death Proof from Quentin Tarantino, one of my favorite filmmakers, who, um, with that film, has done enough good stuff. And believe me, there's some really, really cool moments in that movie. 
I particularly like the first car crash sequence and the last car chase. Um, those moments are absolutely fantastic. Some of the better stuff Tarantino's done, action-wise. But there's, you know, some stuff in it that I'm not crazy about. But I still like it as a film. You know, that's that's a point where I would say, like, I'd be more than happy to own a copy of that. And I own two of Death Proof. Um, 9 out of 10? See it multiple times. Um, 9 out of 10 is something like Quiz Show. We just watched that in Mr. Valinsky's class. Good film. Great film, really. A lot to dive into. You know, there, a 9 out of 10 is something where I'm like, Wow. You know, that is just short of perfection. 10 out of 10 is perfection. I would change nothing about it. That's what 10 out of 10 means. It means that from beginning to end, there's not a single thing that I would change. And, you know, if there is, it's so minor that I can ignore it. 10 out of 10 would be something like Pulp Fiction, my favorite film of all time. When I say something's my favorite film of all time, I could choose any one of, like, three movies. Um, but Pulp Fiction is very much up there in my list. But so, A Star is Born's eight and a half out of ten. I'd pay money to see it. I'd say it's very good. It's between good and great. And I think that is, for a remake, very good. For the fifth version of a movie, insane. Okay, I don't know of any movies that have been remade as much as this, and... For this to arguably be the best one, that's impressive. And I will leave you on that. Uh, This has been Alex Gerline for the San Ignatius Podcasts. Have a good day.